Where do you think this cross is located? Uh, let me just take a quick moment. If you're, if you're listening online, it's a, it's a neon cross. It's, it appears to be hanging on the side of a building somewhere. Uh, so you can kind of think that through. It's red and the, the words Jesus saves are written on it in uh, kind of a, a neon blue or off-white color. So kind of paint that picture for those of you listening online. But where do you think this cross is located? Obviously, it, it's not a pretty cross and it, it's not in a, what I would consider maybe a nice neighborhood. I mean, look at it. It's neon. Most of our homeowners associations wouldn't allow that in our neighborhood. I want you to close your eyes for a moment and imagine the neighborhood or the area that's around this neon cross. Imagine what that might look like. Imagine the neighborhood of the area that this cross lights up every night. I want you to kind of get that, your own mental image of what that may look like. I would imagine it's not lined with neatly trimmed yards and white fences. There's probably not two cars in every driveway, and I'm sure the kids playing in that particular area, aren't riding new bikes and wearing new clothes. From what background we do see, it's, it's probably safe to say that it's not your average white or blue-collar community even. Now, what I don't know about this sign is I don't know if it's part of a church building somewhere in a downtown area or if it's something that a business owner put up or, or really anything else about it except that we found this picture and I know this. That cross shines in neon colors saying two words, Jesus saves. It shines in some kind of a neighborhood that most of us would probably say is dark and gloomy. Yet it shines as if to say to anyone who walks past it, come, my grace is sufficient for you. That cross makes me kind of stop and think that too often as Christians, the image that, that we, that's represented on TV and by the world is, is that we're angry people. That, that we're, we're yelling at people because we don't like what they're doing. But this cross just simply says Jesus saves. Now, I may be wrong, but I think too many people in the world think most of us Christians aren't just, we aren't very nice. And I know that may not seem fair, but perception is reality. And for a lot of our world, that's the way they perceive us. The perception is that Christians no longer just, just hate the sin, but that we also uh, come real close to hating the sinner. I appreciate this cross that it's in this not so lovely place. Someone made the investment to put a simple message on a neon cross so that everyone who sees it will see grace, not anger. That simple two-word message simply says, Jesus saves. It doesn't say, get yourself fixed and come to Jesus. It doesn't say, cast down judgment on what someone has done. It doesn't hold the past against anyone who sees it. It it doesn't say, get off of drugs and come to Jesus. It just simply says, Jesus saves. Yet in our quest to be a reflection of Christ to the world, Sometimes we are more a reflection of the Pharisees. I know that seems harsh, but think about it. It's not even a new development. Way back in 1756, the French philosopher Voltaire wrote, Religion is the chief cause of all the sorrows of humanity. 
Everywhere it has only served to drive men to evil and plunge them into brutal miseries. It makes for history an immense tableau of human follies. Way back then, that's how we were seen. But today, I want to talk about grace. And as we talk about grace, I want you to be thinking about the people in your life that you need to offer grace to. I want you to honestly open yourself up and think who those people are. Will you pray with me? Father God, we come before you right now. And we're getting ready to talk about one of the most uncomfortable things, oddly enough, for Christians, and that is grace. Because we all want it, but we don't all want to offer it sometimes. So I pray that for each one of us that that hears this message today, that you will just open our hearts, that you will lead us and show us the person or the people that we need to be offering grace to. Help us to not judge the world around us, but help us to love it. And in loving it, help us to be a reflection of your son to the world. And help us to do that in grace. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. It's been an interesting week for me, preparing this this message for grace. Um, Earlier in the week, I heard a story uh, of grace or about grace that happened between a father and a son. Uh, this This is a great story. It's a story of a boy who was about eight or nine years old. He did something that just got himself into a lot of trouble with his parents. It was a ton of trouble, like a truckload of trouble. I know none of the kids in this room have ever done anything like that, okay? It's never happened. Uh, But what he did is not so much important. It's the fact that he was in trouble. And after sending him to his room and allowing him some time to ponder what he has done, and for the parents to cool off, and that's always a good thing, parents. We take a minute, an, an adult timeout, never hurt anybody. Uh, they, the kid is thinking about what he had done. The parents are cooling off. Dad went to talk to his son. And dad and the son talk about the situation for a while. And then dad says, you understand that what you did is wrong. Yes, sir, I understand. You understand that, that I have to punish you. Yeah, I understand that too. The boy nods his head, yes. So dad proceeds to take off his belt. That dreaded sound. The belt going through the belt loops. And just when the boy thinks he's about to get the spanking and the discipline that he rightfully deserves, the father says to him, here. He tries to give his nine-year-old son the belt. And he says, he says, you're going to spank me. I'm going to take your punishment for you. The boy cries. I can't do that. After a few moments father sits down and he explains to his son that is exactly what Jesus did for all of us on the cross even though we deserved the punishment ourselves for what we've done and for our sins Jesus took it upon himself so that we wouldn't have to that neon cross that Jesus saves it it brings it to a whole new meaning you see that's grace what that father did with that son that's grace I'm sure that as parents that you may have a similar story about trying to teach your kids about grace and about responsibility. And I've learned something else this week about grace. The the hardest part about offering grace is that we think we deserve better. We, We think, well, you shouldn't have hurt me. 
Or you should come and ask forgiveness and then I'll offer you or show you grace. But that's not the way Jesus did it. As we continue to go a little bit deeper into the Jesus project, remember, we're the project. But I want to show you and and just take a moment to take a look at how Jesus showed grace. Check this out. Jesus, Jesus, it's you. I can't believe this. I mean, you're here. You're alive. This is just so great. I mean, I mean, there I was in my boat, and I was fishing all night, and I didn't have any fish at all. And then I heard this voice, and it said, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish. So I go ahead, and I throw the net on the other side of the boat, and this gaggle of fish goes right into the net. And I'm thinking, this is a miracle. Who could have done this? And then I'm thinking, I've got to know who told me to throw the net on the other side of the boat. And so I look over and boom, there you are on the shore. And it is I, the Lord. This is so great. This is awesome. Hey, Andrew, get out of the boat. Yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. This is so great. You're here. You're here. Hey, Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. I, I do love you, and I'm so sorry about that rooster clucking thing. I did not know, I did not know what it meant, but I do know, and I'm better for it, okay? Andrew, get out of the boat. I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, man, it's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, words cannot describe the passion I have for you. The love I have for you, with everything I have, I love you. With everything I am, I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Then, then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. I mean, that is so like you. I mean, there's always something new going on with you. That's what I love about you. Oh, man. Peter, do you remember the morning when the... Ladies came to the tomb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were all in the upper room, like, wondering what we're going to do, you know, because we thought you were dead. Well, you were dead. And, and we're in the upper room and wondering what we're going to do next. And here comes Mary. She's running down and she's yelling, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, hey, I'm allergic to bees. Keep the bees out. You know what I'm saying? And then I, as she got closer, I understood her more correctly. What she was saying is, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're like, Who's alive? And she said, I was down at the tomb, and the tomb was totally empty, and, and there's this angel there, and the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. And so John and I, we hightail it down to the tomb, and hey, if John tells you he beat me to that tomb, he's lying, okay? I beat him at that tomb. Just FYI, all right? So we get there, and sure enough, the whole tomb is empty. There's nothing there, and I'm thinking, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John, John is so good with words. You know, he could write a book. He is so good with words. I'm telling you. He says, Peter, don't you get it? Everything that Jesus said he was going to do, he's done. He's, 
finished. He's completed. So let's go. Peter, yeah, P- yeah. Peter, wait a minute. Yeah. What did the angel say? He said, go tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is risen. And here you are. You're alive. This is great. Yeah. What, what, what did the angel say? He said, go tell the disciples and He said, go tell the disciples and P- Peter, you said my name. Why did he say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, 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 no. That, that's not right. I mean, all that night, they were coming up to me and saying, are you with him? Or, or do you belong to him? And I denied you left and right all night long. It'll take a whole lifetime to make up for what I did that night. It was unforgivable. No, no, Peter. What I did at the cross made that which was unforgivable, forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. You see, Jesus showed grace to everyone, but especially to lost people. He didn't insult lost people. He ate with them. He wasn't mean to lost people. He was truthful, but he was never mean. Jesus wasn't a fire and brimstone preacher that was seemingly impassioned by sending people to hell. He was a grace-filled savior intent on helping people find their way to heaven. Even his own disciples. You see, in one day in his, in his hometown synagogue, Jesus finally let everyone know. He let everybody in on who he really was and, and, he, and why he was on the planet. He stood up to read. So he's in the synagogue and he stands up to read and the Kazan hands him the scroll. Uh, the Kazan is not a comic book character, by the way. He's actually a cantor, the Jewish religious official who helped conduct the service. And so he hands Jesus the scroll. And it it contained a 700-year-old prophecy from Isaiah. And Jesus unrolls the scroll. And after searching for a specific passage, he begins to read. And he reads from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And then uh, here it goes. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When he was done reading, he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the Kazan, and sat down and waited. He waited for everyone to fix their eyes on him. He waited for the next teachable moment. You see, in the synagogue, you didn't teach standing up. The rabbis taught sitting down. So when Jesus sat down, he wasn't finished. He was just getting started. And at just the right moment, when everyone was looking at him, he showed them who he really was. Seated, Jesus, the rabbi, started his lesson with eight simple words, announcing one amazing message. He said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Whoa. Jesus is telling them, That he is the Messiah. He's telling them the waiting is over. 
They are living in the year of the Lord's favor. Luke tells us, Luke 4.22, that everyone spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Gracious words. Jesus spoke words full of grace. Even knowing, as he, as he had this moment in the synagogue, he knew that, he, that momentarily they, they were going to be mean to him. He knew momentarily these same people were going to try to kill him. Yet he was kind and he spoke words full of grace. Good news to the poor. Freedom for the prisoners. Sight for the blind. To release the oppressed. And in his book, Eats with Sinners, Aaron Chambers, he kind of hits on those moments really heavy. So I'm not going to hang out there this morning. Instead, I want to reflect on three qualities of amazing grace that Jesus demonstrates in his encounter with the leaders of the synagogue in Nazareth. The first thing that he teaches is that amazing grace is kind. In Luke 4.22, we read, like I said earlier, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. They often followed that up with things like, isn't this Joseph's son? But he is God. So he knew that in about two to three minutes, they're going to try to throw him off the nearest cliff. That's Luke 4.29, if you look into that. So he could have done a lot of things. He could have stopped right there and called them out. You people stink. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're going to do. He he didn't do that. He didn't. He, He could have been like, you think you have me all figured out, but you're clueless. You say you love me, but you hate the Gentiles. That's not how it works. There's so many things he could have said. He, he could have been like, if you really love me, you'll love the Gentiles too, but you don't. You don't love Gentiles, that is. That really makes me angry. So when you try to execute me, it's on. I'm going to call down some serious fire on your swarthy little heads. Sorry, talk like a pirate day was Wednesday, so I had to throw in swarthy. Um, but he didn't do that. That's not how Jesus is. He was kind even to the people that he knew wanted to get rid of him for revealing himself to them. Are we that kind even to our friends? Are we kind to the people in this world? You know, we, we need to talk to people with kindness. We need to interact with our coworkers and our bosses with kindness. Let's be kind to our neighbors. Let's go meet some of our neighbors. Some of us have lived at the same place and don't know people three houses down. Let's drive with kindness. Even when we go to Five Guys. A few weeks back, I had a little issue in a parking lot where I got the space first and nobody will let me forget it. Okay? So I'm preaching on grace, those of you who were part of that. Forgive me, let me go on. (laughs) One little mistake. That was my only one for the year, by the way. Uh, Let's show kindness to our families. (laughs) Show kindness to our minister. Uh, (laughs) You know, in this event, Jesus also teaches that amazing grace is truthful. It's not always easy, but it's truthful. Luke 4, 24 uh, through 28, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. 
And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed. Only Naaman the Syrian. Verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. You see, Jesus always told the truth. Telling the truth and telling people the truth is not unkind and it's not ungraceful. But we need to be about truth. In fact, sometimes the most gracious and kindest thing we can do for someone is tell them the truth. If the tests reveal that you have cancer, do you want your doctor to lie to you? Or do you want him to be truthful? You want to know what you're up against. We need to tell the people in our lives the truth. Jesus never hesitated to tell people the truth. Even though to, to some... It may appear to the uninformed that his truth was unkind, but it wasn't. You see, in the encounter he had with the leaders of the synagogue in Nazareth, Jesus tells them the truth. He tells them that God sent Elijah, not to the Jewish widows in Israel, but to a Gentile widow in Zarephath. And he tells them that God sent Elisha, not to the lepers in Israel, but to a Gentile leper named Naaman. But when they heard these truths, they were angry because they didn't want the Gentiles to be saved. But Jesus wasn't trying to win a popularity contest. He came to save lost people from eternal death. So he did the gracious thing and he told them the truth. We must tell people the truth also. We're not here to win a popularity contest. We must not water down the truth. We must not tell people what they want to hear. We must tell people the truth. You see, in this event, we see Jesus through his actions. And we see that he told the truth. But we also learn something about amazing grace. Amazing grace is unstoppable. You can't stop amazing grace. In Luke chapter 4 verse 29 we read, They got up, drove him out of the town. I've never, I've I've been run out of a lot of places. I've never been run out of church. Okay? (laughs) Jesus is in the synagogue and they run him out. And they run him out of town. And they took him to the, to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. That was their, their desire, their purpose. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way because amazing grace is unstoppable. These people wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to stop his ministry right here at the start. But they found out that amazing grace is unstoppable. And there's some things that, that we try to put out. That, that cause us to think grace is unstoppable. Things like fear. Fear will try to stop amazing grace, but amazing grace is unstoppable. Prejudice, our own and others, will try to stop amazing grace, but amazing grace is unstoppable. Pride will sometimes try to stop amazing grace, but amazing grace is unstoppable. Anger will try to stop amazing grace. Say it with me. But amazing grace is Say it like you believe it. We got one more. A judgmental spirit. Now, I know none of us have ever harbored that. But a judgmental spirit will try to stop amazing grace. But amazing grace is unstoppable. You see, Christ's enemies thought that the cross could stop him. But amazing grace is unstoppable. We need to talk amazing grace. We need to live amazing grace. We need to share amazing grace because the grace that Jesus shows is truly amazing. On Monday afternoon, I was given, I received a phone call and I was told that my sister and one of my nieces, who's 21 years old, had been arrested over the weekend in Florida 
for making and selling crystal methamphetamines. Uh, they another a whole list of charges, and I, I listened to the story of the raid on my mom's house and how it took place. How the narcotics agents busted out windows and kicked in the door and, and all the stuff that they do in that situation. And I have to be honest with you, I'm listening to this 30, 45 minute conversation of someone telling me what happened in my mom's house. And, and, and um, that if some of you may or may not know this, but my mom also, my mom passed away in April this year. Okay, so there's my mom's house that she left for my sister. And within four months, this is what's taking place in my mom's house. I got to be honest with you, I, I experienced a lot of feelings and emotions during that time frame of listening in this conversation. I, I was sad because my mom had worked so hard so that my sister and my nieces would have a home. I was heartbroken for the situation. I had a lot of other emotions, anger and fear and all these things going through me. But let me be honest with you, not one of my emotions was grace at that moment. I'd be lying if I told you it was anything different. As I said, the narcotics team busted out windows, knocked down the door. The usual stuff that happens in a raid and four people in the house went to jail that night. The, the bond totals more than $420,000 for all of them. Okay? I, I struggled with, with what I should do. And I found wise counsel from what would appear to be a random phone call that Monday night. But I learned that night something else about grace. It's not random. I listened to the wisdom of the person that I was talking with on the phone and I realized a couple of things. I realized first off, I could not change the fact that my sister and my niece were in jail. I realized I couldn't change the fact that um, my sister is the only one who can change her situation. And, and she's the only one who can fight her addictions. I also realized I needed to go to Florida. I needed to make sure that my mom's house was secure and and when I was there, I made arrangements with the sheriff's office to visit my sister in jail. And now the funny thing is, uh, my sister was arrested Friday night. By Saturday morning, they had her in sick bay uh, because you have to detox off of this stuff because it's pretty nasty. Um, and so she's in sick bay in the jail, which means she hadn't been able to fill out any paperwork, really, particularly the paperwork that you list the names of people that can visit you while you're in jail. And so the guard went to get her. And the guard told her that she had a visitor. And her response was, I can't possibly have a visitor. I haven't filled out the card. She's been to jail before. She knows how this works. If you don't have names, you don't get visitors. Uh, she said, I haven't filled out the card yet. And my sister's arguing with the guard. There's no way I have a visitor. I, have a, I don't have a visitor. The guard's like, come on, you have a visitor. Finally, the guard says to her, get off your bunk. You have a visitor. And, and the way things were set up, she couldn't see me. Uh, they gave us kind of a little private. I had my own little room. She had her own little room. And we had a window between us and a phone. But it was private. We could both shut our doors and have conversation. Uh, but as, as the, on her side of it, she couldn't see me until they kind of came around the corner. And then we were like face to face, so to speak. And she looks up because she was walking just with her head down, not knowing what was coming. And uh, she looks up and she sees me. And... Um, as soon as she saw me, she started crying. She turns to the guard. She said, that's my brother. He lives in Alabama, but he came. The guard says, yeah, I know. We've been working with him for two days to get him in to see you. So the next time I tell you you have a visitor, get off your bunk. Don't argue with me and come. So she's all, I'm sorry. She's telling the guard, I'm so sorry. And she says to the guard, thank you for letting him come to see me. And she had no idea at this point the things that I was going to say to her. And I had no idea what she was going to say to me. I didn't even know if she wanted to see me. But she comes in the little room and she picks up the phone. 
And she says, you came to see me? I said, yeah. She said, why? I said, because you're my sister. I said, I want you to know I love you. I forgive you. But I want you to know you're not alone. I can't give you money, but I will write to you. And I'll be praying for you as you go through this process. We talked about the particulars of, of what happened. But then we talked, uh, you know, just some business about her arrest and stuff. And, and the things I needed to do to, to finalize some of my mom's affairs. And then we talked for like an hour about just stupid stuff we did growing up. Time spent with our grandma. And it dawned on me as I was getting out of jail. And as I was leaving the jail. And walking to the car. You know, the funny thing about grace is when you offer it to someone else, it changes everything about you too. And at that moment that my sister saw me and I saw her, I didn't have those same emotions as I had when that phone call came. I wasn't bitter and I wasn't angry and I wasn't scared and I wasn't frustrated. I was simply a sinner saved by grace. And I realized the only difference between me and my sister was that her sin, so to speak, was made public. And it was against the law and she was locked up for it. Yet our sins, my sins, remain private. My mistakes and stumbles, your mistakes and stumbles may never be published on the county jail website or in the local news like hers was. But they hurt God just the same. And at that moment that I saw my sister, it dawned on me just for a split second how God must feel every time we do something stupid against him. If I felt that just for my sister and her situation, think how God feels every day when all the Christians in the world do something stupid. I don't know where you are in your life or who you may need to show grace to, but I want to challenge you today. If you need to show grace to somebody, don't wait. Don't wait until tomorrow. You may not have to drive 1,300 miles to show grace to somebody. You may only need to walk across the room somewhere or pick up a phone or send a text message. And while we sing our decision song today, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm I'm calling an audible. It's not going to affect you guys, okay? If you need to offer grace to somebody, while we're singing, do it, all right? If you need to send a text message, stop singing long enough and send a text message to somebody that says, hey... Can we get together later and have dinner? Make that move. If you need to show grace to somebody, walk outside, call them on your cell phone right now, and they're going to answer the phone and go, aren't you in church? And you're going to go, yeah, but we're talking about grace, and I love you. And that's how it's going to work. That's how it's going to just come out. If you need to offer grace to somebody, don't wait. Maybe they're here in this room. Walk over to them and just hug them. Tell them you love them. Tell them that you don't want this issue, whatever it is. While we're singing, do that. Tell what, whatever it is, you make that step. Don't wait for, for an apology. Don't wait for what you think you deserve. Be prepared to run out and offer somebody exactly what Jesus offered Peter. Exactly what he offers us. His amazing grace. But don't wait. Make that move now. If you have another decision on your heart, if you want to join a partner with it, that's fine. I'll be right here if you want to come forward and, and hang out. But right now the focal point is grace. And if you need that through baptism, I'll go change clothes and, and we'll do that too. But the focal point is grace. And as we sing this song, go ahead and stand with us if you would.
we're going to sing our decision song. And if you need to show grace, whether it's in this room or if you need to step out so you can make a call or send a text, do that. Nobody's going to look at you funny for texting right now.